You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Sebastian, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Welcome to What's Up Next, where your hosts, Paul David Thompson and Doc G, take the discussion on topics in the financial independence movement to the next level. Guest panelists share their opinion to questions that don't have clear answers to help you refine your path to financial independence. Welcome. This is Paul David Thompson from Ready Investor One. And this is Doc G from Diversify.com. So... Paul Thompson, what's up next? Hey, Doc. I'm really excited about today's episode because it's not something I have heard talked about in the financial independent space at any length at all, really. And so we have Sebastian on here, and he's going to talk to us about the effective altruism. It should be that part of our practice on our path to financial independence. So, Sebastian, can you give us a quick introduction, and then we'll just dig into the conversation. Sure. So my name is Sebastian. I am from Belgium originally. I worked in Dubai as an expat for a few years and we retired, me and my wife, just under a year ago. Um, now we're back in Europe enjoying life. All right, Sebastian, let's start from the beginning. You're retired now, but talk a little bit about your career path. What did you study in college and what did you do after you finished? I studied uh, civil engineering, construction, to be more precise, and I started working after those studies, and I wasn't really happy what I was doing in the construction field because I wanted to do something more on the energy side of things, uh, on sustainability. I did my thesis on climate science, uh, but that wasn't enough to get me a job into that field, and so I did the second master's in sustainable energy, and that helped me get into the field I wanted, which was sustainable development, energy management etc. And uh, that was around 2008, 2009, and the second master 2011. And so the market was not great in Europe. And I got a job, a small internship in Dubai. And so that's how I moved out there uh, without really knowing, without being really intentional about the move. But that turned out to be one of the best decisions I could have made from a financial perspective, because it led to me discovering FI, forcing me to take my finance under control and then discovering FI and finally having the opportunity to stop working. That's really how it went. So in this community, we often talk about finances, but it sounded like early in your career, you were looking at sustainable energy and other things that were making an impact on the world. So it sounds like finances weren't your only concern at that time. Is that true? Actually, I thought money was the root of all evil. So that's really the type of environment in which I grew up. And my parents are very much on the environmentalist side of things. And so I was touched by that aspect of life. And so I cared for the environment. And I wanted to make a difference in that space. And with the, my studies, yeah, climate change and sustainable energy were sort of the, the areas in which I was I say pushed or directed, but it's really where I ended up working and, and making an impact to a certain point at that scale, which, which is very rewarding. But as we'll talk a bit about this later, I thought there could be more than that. I'm interested in this idea that money is the root of all evil. That's not something we hear often from people in the financial independence movement. Why do you think that was ingrained in you at an early age? I think I was sensitive to... I have been exposed to the inequalities in the world and obviously without having a, a deep understanding of how things work, it was fairly easy for me to quickly judge and say, well, this is happening because of the rich people, right? Something like that. I think it's, it's just a normal narrative in part of the population 
maybe the less wealthy part of the population. And we don't come from a very wealthy background at all. My parents started very, very humble ways. So I think it's just part of that. There was a strong emphasis in my upbringing on, say, North-South cooperation, uh, fair trade, you know, helping the developing countries, the responsibility of the richer nations towards the poorest nations, etc. And so I don't think it was as strong as money is the root of all evil. It's more saying I was brought up thinking that money was not important, really, as something to be part of my life. And that's changed completely Basically, when I started getting paid a bit more than what I actually needed, I realized money is just a tool. It is just a tool. And FI is only just a tool as well. People think that I've changed a lot, I would say, in, in those past 10 years, because I went from never speaking about money to well, being FI and basically teaching others about money, which is a bit weird. So let's talk about that change a little bit. It sounds like you had an impactful job. And you mentioned that you were moving up the corporate ladder. In fact, at one point you say, I used to love my job. What caused you to change? If I didn't know about FI, I think I would still love my job. I love my job simply because of what it is. I think I was lucky to be in a position where I could make a difference. And I was working great people, smart people, experts in the field on really massive projects that really were making a difference at that scale. But what's changed is that I realized there was much more to life than work. And so loving my job was not enough anymore in the sense that I knew I could do something bigger than just work and bigger than that specific job without really knowing what that could be. I think it's FI gave me that perspective and gave me that option to quit. And that was a very important phase in my life, quitting and then moving on to thinking about what could be better than that job, which was already very good by many standards. So can you remember where you first heard about financial independence from? I think I learned about the whole concept from a combination of Jim Collins' stock series and then Mr. Money Mustache early blog posts around 2013 or 2014. And you were in Dubai when you discovered this, is that right? Yes. And at the time, was there much of a financial independence movement or other people that followed the same thought process that you knew of in Dubai? Zero, no one. And I was desperately looking for people that would be interested in this. I was doing all the research I could on all the forums trying to meet with those people. Was there some type of trigger event that made you even look for this information? So a lot of people mention J.L. Collins or Mr. Money Mustache, and most will say that they went looking after a bad day of work. Something crushed them. Or as Paul said, he was on vacation and realized that if he wanted to extend his vacation, he couldn't spend more time with his kids because he had to make it back to the office. Do you remember what made you go searching on the internet for this information? Yeah, that's interesting because... I loved my job, right? And I was happy. If I didn't know about FI, I'd be happy just continuing this until I'm 65. Just I wouldn't have much to complain about, I think. It's more due to the fact that from the start, I've been living a, a very simple life, not spending that much. And if you work well and you're pretty passionate about your job, you start getting paid well. And so it was more of a question of what do I do with the money I have now? And so I have to learn about investing, right? And as an expat in the UAE, we don't have any pension scheme in place. So I had to care for my own pension and find out how to basically save and invest for myself for when I'm old. So the very first reason I was looking for information is how do I get to build my own pension? And that led to understanding that I have enough to retire at 65. And then with a little bit more thinking, which, you know, that's the main click is, wait a minute, I don't have to wait until I'm 65. I could probably stop at 55. How much do I need to stop at 55? So from there, then the numbers started going down and it started coming much closer every time I was improving things. When you stumbled across this, was your first feeling jubilation or did it cause tension in your life? No, I think it was very positive internally and with my very close family, my wife, basically, because it's incredibly exhilarating. I was really excited about this opportunity, (laughs) having those options, having this freedom, deciding what to do with my time. Yeah, so no, it was a very, very positive event. The difficult part was uh, I didn't find anyone around me who was on board with that idea at all. Let's talk about that a little bit. Did you end up creating a committee? Isn't that what Simplify is? Yeah, so I ended up finding the people I was interested in hanging out with, mostly on the internet, so blogs and the very first podcast back then, uh, Mad Scientist, I would say, maybe a few others. But that wasn't enough for me, and I wanted to connect with people, and I wanted to share this because it, it was about to make a massive 
change or have a massive positive impact on my life. And I wanted that to be the case for others too. I started speaking about good investment practice and basically following the Bongerheads philosophy, avoiding the financial traps in the UAE because it's a very poorly regulated market. A lot of very bad financial advice being provided around there and very expensive. And so it was a lot about raising awareness in the hope to find people who were interested, growing community and, and then keep doing that. And now, yeah, today this group is just booming. In the past two days, we had 200 new members joining and everyone with questions about, okay, here's the financial plan I have. Here are the fees. What do I do? Is this the right thing for me? And the community is just helping back, responding for free. So it's just people helping each other in that community is really incredible. First, how to better invest and then how to reach FI. These are the two things we do. And did you start Simplify while you were still working or had you already transitioned out of your job at that time? No, we started three and a half years ago. We started with just a few meetups with a few friends and then we started giving talks. But that was while I was working. So it was just evening work and weekends. And did you feel a tension to start leaving work? I mean, at this point, you're talking about financial independence, you're starting Simplify and yet you're still working. Did you feel like you had to get to it and get out of that job or was it much more relaxed than that? Well, I wanted to quit as soon as possible so that I can move to the next big thing. And for a long time, I was really confused about what this next big thing would be, but that didn't stop me from wanting to leave. But really the numbers were what drove the decision. And also this is a combined decision with my wife and we have slightly different tolerance to risk and maybe approach to finance. We had to find a balanced way of, of making that work for both of us. So in the end, we agreed on the plan and the date, etc. And it took some time, but the rush was there internally. Yes, I felt like I needed to get there. And I think it, at one point you even said, you know, your goal was originally to retire at 55, then it was to retire at 45. You actually left the workplace at 33. How did you do that so quickly? And talk to me a little bit about your perpetual money machine. So we invest in the stock market. And so the returns, the forecasted returns are based on historical average long-term using the data. So we can come up with some sort of idea of how much money our investment will make over the long term. And based on that, we can then calculate how much we need invested to be able to stop working and basically get some sort of a pension coming to us every month or every whatever period of time that we think is relevant. The money-making machine is just Bogger has investing. And that's index investing in the US. It's more complicated in the UAE because we can't just sign up in Vanguard and transfer money there. But once we figured that out, I think the power came from the fact that we got that knowledge and that we were earning as expats in a country that's pretty expensive, also pays well, just like the UAE. And our plans for life after FI were in Europe, where life is less expensive. And so at the moment, we're in Poland. So in Poland, life is awesome. We have all of the, the comfort we could wish for, and it comes at a fraction of the cost of what we would have had to pay in Dubai. And then Belgium is also very affordable. So yeah, I think the power of arbitrage here is a clear accelerator of our FI. I think it, this is a fast pass to FI almost like a no-brainer expat and then yeah, index investing. So it sounds like you're having a lot of traction with Simplify. Was there any thought of monetizing your online ventures? So there are thoughts of monetizing some of the work we do, but the core of the group is a community that helps each other, where people help each other. And we have a strong message beyond just FI, that is to be careful about financial advice that is given in the region. And for us to be able to reach more people and make a difference at that level, being able to say that we're not selling anything, that we're doing this as volunteers, and that everything we do is free, and we have nothing to hide and no hidden agenda, is very powerful. It puts us on a higher moral ground, if you will, as opposed to people who come to you and they want to push information on you. Why? Because they're selling something. We're not selling anything. We're just telling you what we believe is right and you take it or leave it. And that's fine. So I think that's a very unique strength here. I think that locks the whole community as a non-profit group, but there are ideas of um, monetizing some more specific workshops maybe at some point in the future because some funding will help us reach more people basically. So Sebastian, you've said some interesting quotes on your websites about financial independence. And one is you called financial independence the best life hack ever. Explain to me what you meant by that. 
So I think most people in the financial independence community would agree that it's an amazing life hack. The reason I'm saying it's the best life hack ever is I think I want to convince people who come to my blog and read that to really consider it. And I give the example of the fact that I have reclaimed basically three decades at least of my productive life as compared to what I thought my life was going to be just a few years earlier. So it's about taking back control of many years of life. And all of a sudden, all of those years almost by default have to become intentional because there's no one telling you what to do. You have to live your own life and be your own self. So it's the best life hack ever because you have to take responsibility and do something with your life. I think that's very, very powerful. Yeah, I would add on that you also said financial independence is not just armor, it's a superpower. Is that kind of along the same lines? Yes. I mean, we spoke about financial independence being a suit of armor at uh, the Chitaqua we went to in Greece and Firecracker from Millennial Revolution was speaking about this and Alan Donegan uses that as well. I think, well, basically a lot of people in the FI community use that expression. I think it's more than just protection. So for me, a suit of armor is more of a, you can throw anything at me, I'll be okay. I can take risks, I'll be okay. That is very true. I think that's very true and it's very powerful. And I think having a lot of money in the bank is a very solid safety net and, and a suit of armor. I also think that it's more than that. I think if used the right way, this can be a weapon, right? In, instead of an armor. And well, I'm a blog, I speak about other aspects of financial independence beyond just money. So I speak about abilities, freedom, I speak about thinking freedom, and I speak about time freedom. And I think all of those together make us very unique I think in human history, there's very few people who have been in the position we're in to do things with our life. I mean, only the very rich and the nobles and the very powerful people were in such position. And I think now we have more and more of us coming close to that position or or actually achieving if I I think that gives us superpower. We can make a big difference. Let's talk about making a big difference. I believe that a lot of people look at financial independence and say, hey, that's pretty self-centered. You're spending all your time thinking about you, your money, and how you can live your best life. On the other hand, it sounds like your goal is to really make the world a better place. When did you start thinking in those terms? I think there's two parts to this response here. I think from the outside, yes, the FI community can be seen as a sort of selfish community, in a way. At the same time, I think the main driver for most people to reach FI is not only to quit, but to be able to spend more time with their loved ones and with their community. So I think there is an altruistic aspect to it that's very strong. It's just that obviously we don't always talk about it, right? People were saying, why you want to reach FI is most of the time is community, is project, is family. And, and, and so that's very altruistic. So I wanted to have an impact from early on. I think it's mostly from growing up in an environmentally conscious family and surroundings. And the idea of having an impact is what somehow it became at some point in my career, something that I was speaking about as a way to direct my own work and as a way to work on bigger projects that had more impact. It's something that helped me drive my decisions to change jobs, to know where it comes from. I think it comes from the understanding that I have control over certain things in my life and that that control gives me the power to make some changes. So it comes from a certain level of self-confidence and and belief that what I do can have an impact. And then from there, realizing that that's a pretty powerful drive and increasing impact is something that drives me. Sebastian, I want to go back to something you just said a few moments ago. You talked about spending time with your family and using the word altruism. That's an altruistic mission, so to speak. And I would say that maybe some people would almost look at that as more self-involved. So this idea of altruism and what it is and what it means I think can vary from person to person. So I wanted to jump into this Japanese phenomenon of Aikigai, because you've written about this before. And if maybe that will help tie us in this understanding of how you have an impact on the world. And specifically, you know, tell us what Aikigai is. Well, I've just become a father and there's something pretty unique in having to care for a child is that you have to give everything you have and not really expect much in return in a way. 
And I think that's just the first level of altruism that, but in this case, it's quite a unique kind of altruism. But I would say a lot of people who care for their family, whether it's their kids or not, it's already a form of altruism. And I would say if you look at altruism as a series of concentric circles, there's you in the middle and then there's your immediate family right after that. And then around that, there's maybe your family and friends and then a bit beyond that is your community. And as you expand that, you just grow your altruism in a way. But effective altruism basically helps you think about this and push it to the limit, which is encompassing and, and bringing you compassion not only to your close friends and relatives, but maybe whole of humanity. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that now. So the term effective altruism is interesting, right? Because it almost makes it sound like there are different levels of altruism. Is there some altruism that's better than others? And is there a scale? I don't know if there's a scale, but there's the different kinds of altruism. And I think effective altruism likes to compare itself to the show-off altruism, the altruism that's done as by some firms as just you know, marketing, for example, where you do something not because it does good, but because it looks good, then you can show up for it. And then it compares itself also to the altruism where people do good and do something altruistic because it's brought to their attention and because there's an emotional aspect to it and solely emotional. So they don't criticize the fact that it's emotional. They just say it shouldn't be only emotional because we should care about the impact as well. And so effective altruism really looks at the impact of our efforts and our nations or our work. That's the effectiveness part. And it does have sort of a cold ring to it. This is like effective, it's like calculated altruism. But really at its deepest level, it's actually the fairest way of doing good because you basically say, if I have a certain number of hours or a certain amount of money and I want to do good with it, should I just go with the first thing that comes to me and that emotionally touches me? Or should I ask the question, who would most benefit from that effort or money? And so it's about being fair to those who need it the most, essentially. So what I'm hearing you say is that effective altruism takes into consideration impact, fairness, and on some level, a certain amount of selflessness? Yes, because not all effective altruists expect to be recognized for what they do. And so there's different kinds of people in the community. And just like the FI community, it's a young and growing community. And so some people are more selfless than others, but I don't think it's essential. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R. USA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. All right. So most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor, and it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, 
quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer-focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. I've heard lots of people talk about financial independence, but you're probably the only one I've heard connecting that to effective altruism. How did those two come together for you? I think it's mostly by chance. And then it just happens that there are a lot of synergies. So for me, more specifically, it's because I was asking the question, what will I do with my life after FI? And I knew I wanted to do something that had meaning for me and that would have an impact. And I was searching everywhere for ways to think about this because the problem with FI is when you get to FI, you can quit your job and then you can do whatever you want almost without any, there's very few limitations, right? Obviously you can't spend a million dollars if you don't have a million dollars on your budget. But aside from that, you can go back to uni, you can spend your time playing video games or get an internship in SpaceX and go, you know, have an impact at that level. You really have many options. So the main struggle for me was how do I decide what to do next? And so effective altruism, I got lucky to find out about it. And it helped me mostly because of the decision framework that they use and then teach, obviously. A decision framework that helps you decide between a lot of different options. That changed a lot of things in my life because I, I started listing my options and I started comparing them and, and have some sort of a way of deciding what best for me. So that's one of the great benefits. And then there's also more about effective altruism. I think there's a tremendous amount of amazing research and knowledge on what is effective in terms of doing good and changing the world and uh, having a positive impact in a lot of different areas. And that is really inspiring because it shows that there are solutions to those big problems and that there's people who are thinking deeply about how to solve those issues almost selflessly, really, and without any specific political agenda, simply and mostly because they care about humanity and nature and the future and just the survival of our species, etc. I'd like to summarize a little bit because I think this is really important. A lot of us come to financial independence and often one of our big questions is what's next? And when we get to that point in our lives, it actually can cause fear, worry, even depression once we've gotten to that big goal that we spent so much time shooting for that we don't necessarily have a plan afterwards. And what I hear you telling me is that effective altruism gave you a framework to answer the question, what do I do post-financial independence? And not only gave you a framework, but gave you a framework of actually being impactful. Is that a fair statement? Yes. And I think the framework can be used even outside of this idea of wanting to have a positive impact. You could use the same framework for another kind of decision. I think it can be used for someone who's not interested in making an impact, but who wants to figure out what to do with their life next. It's just a matter of changing the criteria, but the process is the same. We're talking in an abstract fashion about what effective altruism is in the framework. Can we put anything to this for those who are listening as to actually what that framework is? Yes. So, they have a number of different tools to make decisions in a very thoughtful way. One that I find very useful and that I think can be applicable for people who are trying to figure out what to do next in their lives is to figure out what are the core elements or the core values that you want to integrate into your life, into your project, whatever it is that you're trying to decide on. Effective altruism will say we're looking for the projects that have the most impact, the projects that are proven to be solvable as we add more resources to them, so they're tractable, solvable, and the projects that are neglected. Why they use those three criteria is because if a project or a career fulfills those three criteria, then it's very likely to have a very, very high impact. So it's about listing the options that you think are available to you and then rating them on each of those three criteria on a three-dimensional scale, essentially creating a little volume, if you know, doing a bit of geometry, and then comparing those different options according to how they rank or how they do uh, compared to those criteria. And you can use other criteria. 
And that sounds something similar to what we used to do in the corporate world is we would look at the net present value of a given project. And it seems like it's a similar idea, but instead of just figuring out what the highest and best return of a given dollar is, it's the highest and best return of your given energy to make the most impact. Is that a fair assessment? Yes, very close. And the same approach is used for charity where you can use money for the highest impact and then you do a net return on your investment again there, Mm -hmm. but looking at the different metric. I've noticed when you talk of effective altruism, you talk about high impact volunteering, high impact career and effective giving. And for those of us who are interested in taking this route in financial independence, how do we measure impact? How do we measure effectiveness? That is a very good question and a difficult one to answer because it depends on what you value and what you use as your base unit of comparison. What the effective altruism community is using is something called quality. So it's a quality adjusted life year. So how many years of good quality life you're adding to somebody's life? So if you compare a specific project that adds one year of life to a hundred people, one year of good, healthy life, as a doctor, you know what that means being in good health, right? How does that compare to a project that adds 50 years of good quality life to people, right? And so that's kind of a unit. And in this case, it would be, well, that's equal basically, right? And so the idea is to increase the number of people we reach and then increase the impact that this project or measure has on those people and multiplying the two to get to to the maximum impact possible. So this is one approach. It's a very simplified approach. There's a lot more than goes into analyzing the different opportunities to do good. But I would say this is the basic approach. I remember from another podcast you did, you gave an example of buying a seeing eye dog for a blind person kind of in the West yeah. versus paying $100 to solve blindness for young people in a third world country. Do you want to talk about that example a little bit? Because yeah. I think it's a perfect example of, of what you're talking about having a high impact. Yes, definitely. Impact is something that is rarely talked about when it comes to charity. And we are often giving to the charitable projects that are brought to us and touch us on an emotional level. So that example is pretty good to illustrate the impact that we can have by simply asking the question, you know, what's the actual impact and how does it compare to other projects in a similar space or in a different space? So uh, in this case, so the numbers are not fully accurate. I'd like to put that there because, well, obviously the cost of training a dog for the blind is varying and then the cost for treating children from blindness is varying as well. But the core message is it takes about thirty to $40,000 to train a dog for the blind and help one person live better thanks to that dog, right? And it takes, in the last podcast, I said $100, but I went back to make sure that those numbers were correct. It looks like to be really effective and from a statistically more accurate point of view, that number is probably more close to $1,000, including all of the variables. So the treatment is $100, but to actually make a real impact lifelong child being you know, saved and not having blindness is more like 1000 but the key point is, obviously, with the same thirty to $40,000, we could basically cure thirty to 40 children and allow them to live without blindness for the rest of their life. So it's really about being fair to them. And when we do train the dog, it's great for that community and the person who's going to benefit from that. But it's unfair to those kids who could have benefited from a great life being able to see for all of it. It's a great example, but it's important to understand that this is an argument that matters only if the goal of your donation was to have an impact. Some people donate with other goals, right? But if you're honest with yourself and you say, well, I'm donating for impact, then it's important to ask the question, what are the alternatives? Okay, let's take this a little from philosophical back down to earth and talk about you yourself. So how Mm -hmm. have you used this effective altruism framework to get involved yourself? What projects are you involved with? Where do you donate your money? What interests you? So yes, there's different aspects to it. And I have more or less of an idea of what I want to do with my life in the next few years. And this has come from my research in effective altruism and with discussions with people from that community and with thanks to some coaching as well, because they have a free coaching service for the high potential people in the community. So if you think that this is something that could work for you, I recommend going and checking the coaching from Effective Altruism. It's helped me a lot. It's at the moment, my current ways of contributing include donations and I've selected the Against Malaria Foundation for now as the best place for me to donate money. I've raised money and I've donated there. I've earned some money since I've quit my job and 
all of it is going for the Against Malaria Foundation because I don't really need it. So that's one aspect. And I think if I earn more, it will probably be going there. I'm not sure if all of it in the future, but for now, for this year at least, is whatever I earn goes there. The other parts, there's two of them. One is I'm considering what I could do in the long term. And after the coaching and after looking at different options, it seems that I am pretty well suited for either helping work in an organization that is part of effective altruism. So empowering the NGOs uh, with my consulting skills, because that is something that is highly valuable in, in NGO world. And the other aspect is working on existential risks and working on convincing the politicians that they should care about the long-term survival of our species, as well as the things that they have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. So doing work at the policy level, maybe at the European level since I'm bridging. All right. So I'd like to kind of summarize. We've talked about financial independence. We've talked about effective altruism and having a high impact. I'd like to go back a little bit to the why and look again at this Japanese phenomenon that I briefly mentioned before, Ikigai. Can you talk to us about what that is and what it means? So Ikigai is a concept that comes from from Japan, Okinawa in particular, and it seems that he has something to do with the longevity of people living on that island. And then a few years ago, someone's created a nice diagram, Venn diagram, and basically replaced the word purpose, who was in the center of that diagram, with the word Ikigai, and it became viral. So there's some understanding that Ikigai now is this diagram, and a combination of four criteria that must be fulfilled for you to life your, find your life purpose or Ikigai. And those four criteria are, one is doing something you love, two is doing something you're good at, three is doing something that the world needs, and four is doing something that you can get paid for. So if basically your job fulfills all four of those, there's a high chance you'll be pretty happy there and that you might even call that your purpose. So Ikigai is really a nice framework to think about those questions. And what I have done is I just used that visual and change the order in, in which people normally look at it. And I suggest we start by looking at what has the potential to make the world a better place. So looking at what the world needs and looking at the biggest challenge and finding the ways we can contribute the most as individual. And I suggest we start by that because if we don't, it's kind of like we're living into chance. If we start by saying, well, I'm good at this, so what else I'm going to do? I'm going to do this, right? And then, yes, maybe it does have you know, a side effect and it has a positive impact on the world. And that's the way things went for me initially. I ended up in my career kind of like an ikigai. I think for a while it was properly you know, a solid purpose for me in my life, but I got there accidentally and maybe the wrong way around because it started by looking at what am I good at? What are my skills? And then it just turned out that I sort of liked it. I could get paid for it and I managed to turn it in a direction where it could have a positive impact. And so I directed my career following impact. So I got to a sum of sort of Ikigai. And I think if I didn't know about FI, I could have considered this my Ikigai for a long term. And if I didn't know about effective altruism, I think even more importantly. But knowing what I know today, I think it's important that we ask those four questions in the right order. So starting with impact, because it can make a very big difference. And I think it leads to a higher job satisfaction as well, if we do ask those questions. So it's not only for people who are rich, if I, this is just general advice. If you want to feel good about what you do, start by doing something that is useful to others. I've seen Ikigai translated roughly into reason for being. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah, that's the root of the word. As I said, that in this Venn diagram, it's, it's replaced purposed. But initially, in the Blue Zone book, it is a reason for being. So it's, it's basically a reason to wake up and a reason to keep going and a reason for enjoying life. And if you have that, it seems that it leads to a longer and healthier life. So by layering financial independence and effective altruism on, have we reached like a high impact Ikigai, or I think you even use the term Faikigai <laughs> at some point. Yes, definitely. I think Ikigai on its own can lead people to having an impact. Adding effective altruism means that they can optimize for impact and so potentially do 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times the difference positively. And a Faikigai is really what we could look at for people who have reached FI and basically saying, well, I don't need to get paid anymore. So I have one less constraint to worry about. I think there's power in that too, because not all the things that the world needs solving or 
you know, energy in is paid for. So people in the FI community are in a unique position to actually solve the things for which there's no funding, which can be pretty big and still find purpose and lead to, you know, making the world a better place. Yeah. And do you need to be financially independent to live this ikigai lifestyle or to be an adherent to effective altruism? No, I think finding purpose in your life is more important than quitting your job. If you can never quit your job, but you're happy with what you're doing and you have purpose and meaning, that's probably better than someone who works his entire life to be able to retire 10 years earlier, but works at a job that they don't like. So I would advise people who start even on the path to FI or not to look at impact, purpose, and meaning and maybe make it a higher priority than reaching FI because then the journey would be much more pleasant, I think, and we can be more proud of what we do if we do have an impact on the way. So our audience is people who are interested in financial independence or are already financially independent. If they're listening to you today on this podcast and saying, this stuff sounds cool to me, how can they start down this path of Ikigai and effective altruism? What's step one? What do you do if you know nothing about it? You just heard it on this podcast right now. It sounds good to you and you want to know more. Where do you start? I mean, if you are interested and curious about this, then just go and learn, right? And there's a lot of really valuable information on effective altruism. I think that's the best way to start if you're looking to have an impact, whether you are on the way to FI or already FI. An easy way to do something is to just make a small donation to a highly effective charity, right? And it doesn't have to be a big amount, but donating $10 to charities such as the Against Malaria Foundation, or there are others as well. If you go on, say, www.givewell.org, there are excellent charities, and that gives you a sense of what you can accomplish with a simple action. And so, taking a simple step in that direction, learning about all of these concepts, seeing, you know, discovering what could be options for you. What I've spoken about, you know, for myself talking about existential risks, it's quite unique and not everyone wants to do that. But there are many other ways of having a positive impact. And having a positive impact needs all sorts of talent from secretary to economist to accountant, doctors, to everything, right? We need all of the skills. We just need to direct them in a more effective way. And so I think it's about learning, finding what could work for you. Connect with people in that community, maybe getting some coaching. At some point, if you think that's for you, then the coaching is something that I would highly recommend. I mean, I'm interested in speaking to anyone in the FI community who wants to make a better place because, again, I'm looking for people like me, like I did at first when I was talking about financial independence in Dubai. And is givewell.org one of those places you can go to find out about kind of the amount of quality life years you can add per dollar donated? Yes. GiveWell is one of the best places where you can understand how effective charities are. And there are more, but I would start there because it's very straightforward. They do an amazing job at really diving deep into the old uncertainties around the impact that some charities can have. They're very, very strict in terms of the evidence that exists to back up the claims of the charities. And great place to start, especially if donating to charity is something you do or you want to start doing. Well, that's a good place to start then. If you want to make the effective altruism as a part of your practice along your path of financial independence, or once you get there, the question we ask so much is what is up next? Once you get to financial independence, what do you do with it? And I've never heard anybody answer it quite as well as you've done just then. So thank you so much. I just cannot believe that I have not heard of this more. And I think this is going to catch on inside the financial independence movement very much if you continue telling your story. So please keep it up. If we want to find out where to get a hold of you, talk to you, where can we find you? So I have a blog where I'm sharing those ideas and I'm hoping to hear back from people. It's yeah. uh, impactivated.com. And I am hoping to gather some people interested in this topic in FI for Impact, which is a Facebook group. And I'm getting some inspiration from your work, guys. And I'm hoping to organize some sort of conference call with the people in that group to see what they think about all this and then talk about it and see how we can take it to the next level. You didn't mention the Simplify Facebook group too. Right. Simplify is for all the expats that are listening to What's Up Next podcast, interested in investing and financial independence. It's a community of people who 
help each other investing DIY and avoiding the financial traps. And it's growing and there's more and more going on there. Please join us. And so we always ask the question, what is up next for you? Sebastian, we've talked, we've danced around what you're working on. You've developed several different platforms to talk about these concepts. What's on the horizon for you? Well, I'm working on all of them at the same time and very excited about what's happening with Simplify in the UAE. It's growing. There will be more coming soon. We're looking at online videos and things that people can easily share with each other for the basic awareness stuff. So that's what we're doing there. For Impactivated, there's a few blog posts on the way. I'm a very slow writer and I like put all my thoughts together very well before I release. So maybe one post a month, maybe one every two months, we'll see. But really, I'm more excited than the thing I'm the most excited about is FI for Impact, the Facebook group, where I'm hoping I can speak with people interested in this. And then finally, from a personal perspective, moving to Belgium later this year with my family. That's the plan. All right. Well, this has been the What's Up Next podcast. We'd like to thank Sebastian Aguilar. If you would like to get updates on what Doc and I are thinking up next, you can text the word next to 345-345 so you can get notified of free giveaways, opportunities to engage with the What's Up Next podcast, and maybe even be a guest on the podcast. We're adding consistent content to our Facebook group, and you can get access by texting the word next to the number 345 Three, four, five. That's a wrap. Well done, Sebastian. That was really interesting. So what yeah. questions do you have for us? Well, now that you know what you know, how does that speak to you? That's really what... I think it speaks very powerfully. And I don't think very many people in the financial independent movement have heard about this. I'm maybe projecting my own ignorance on everybody else. I'm not familiar with the effect of altruism. Like when I heard the term, I thought what it meant, but I didn't know there was a movement around that as well and like a whole framework. So I'm going to have to go down the the rabbit hole just on that. I was going to say, you'll notice when you listen back to this that I really kept on saying framework. And the reason why is I think we're really bad at taking this superpower of financial independence and making it into something impactful. And that was a big part of why we did the social change episode. And the only issue with the social change episode is, you know, there was no overarching structure. Framework. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so what you've provided nicely is a framework to think about how to impact this world in a very organized way, right? We're financially independent people. We like graphs. (laughs) We like flowcharts. We like to logically see how one thing flows from another. So that was one of the big reasons I wanted to have you on as I delved into your data more, as I looked at your content you know, a switch click that says, okay, this is that framework that we were missing in our other episode. Yeah. I mean, it can help a lot, but there's also, we can also expect some pushback because I think this idea of effective altruism works well for the people who are not really sure how to go about choosing what to do next and how to have an impact, which was my position. I was doing what I was doing, but I knew that I was going to stop and then I had to find something new. For the people who are already fully engaged in a specific cause, not always easy to switch and question it and say, is that really impactful? Is it and the most effective? Should I move to this other path that's more right. effective when, when this is still a good thing? Right. And so that, that's why at some point I did add the nuance that it depends on what the goal is. If the goal is to support a specific cause, regardless of the impact, then that's fine. You don't have to go into impact and the criticism from effective altruism, if there is any, shouldn't be taken too seriously. But I mean, I'm hoping it's going to help, you know, the people who are hoping to do something good with their Their freedom, this time freedom that we've bought ourselves. Yeah, it's interesting world that we live in because I think Europe, especially, they're better. This idea of being efficient and sensitive to the environment is more a natural conversation than it is Mm -hmm. in the U.S. It's difficult here because we don't have this constrained space and we just consume. It's just our culture. So, you know, how do you talk about that conversation when it comes to being efficient with your use of electricity or whatever, for example, whereas in Europe, that conversation seems to be, it's like part of the culture. It's more natural. It's already embedded in the culture, as you said. Yeah. And not just in one country, it's like the whole, because I guess they all share the same problem. You know, problem is that it, the efficiency of this is so important because it's such a small place and there's such, such population density. 
Yeah. So people are more conscious about environmental issues than in the US, I think. And then from the FI perspective, people look at the rich and say, you rich, you must have done something wrong. You must have, you know, <laughs> taken advantage of someone else. I mean, the American dream is not something that we have much in Europe. It's not like anyone can make it with just sheer, you know, pure hard work and a bit of luck. That's not an easy concept to grasp. So we'd probably be more criticized in Europe than in the US. And I think that's also a reason why it's taking longer to pick up because, well, there's two reasons. One is that socially, I don't really know how I'm going to handle that back in Belgium. Some people would probably just say, well, you've gone and worked for the all rich companies. It doesn't matter what I was doing, right? Yeah. Trying to, to make things sustainable. And now you're coming here and you're going to tell everyone that they sh should get rich and quit. But the other part is that there's a very good pension system. Does it make it more palatable when you talk about financial independence in the realm of effective altruism and ikigai? I mean, does that make it more palatable to more non-American audiences? I think so. I mean, most of the positive feedback that I've had was from friends and then the European audience, I would say so far. The US is a little less open to the idea that I have, which is that we have responsibility to, to make things good for others as well. You know, that's my personal belief, but that's shared with more people in Europe than it is with the US. I think the US, the main, well, majority of people will say, you know, don't listen to anyone telling you what you should be doing with your life because they have their own idea and you should just have your own and it's kind of free for all type thing. And fiercely independent by nature. It's just, I mean, yes. we're the most independent country in the world. Yeah. As far very, as very personality much. wise. Yeah. But then, you know, effective altruism is huge there, right? I mean, it's very big, especially uh, California. Yeah, going events. to California is like going to a different country now. <laughs> uh, it really is in good and bad ways. I mean, they enforce like you can't buy straws there anymore. Like at restaurants, they're limiting straw and that's un-American. Actually, they've probably gone past Europe in terms of uh, this sort of... Yeah, uh, California is fairly progressive. When it comes, but they yeah. kind of have to be because the population is fairly high and there's just no water. I mean, it just, it's, I mean, they're having to get very efficient. So what you're trying to say is if they get rid of straws, they won't have a water problem. <laughs> that's, that's the solution. It that's was it. all the straws. California yeah. would be fine if there weren't so goddamn many straws. <laughs> <laughs> Go tell that to Dubai as well. Just get rid of the straws and be okay with water. You know, yeah. living in the desert. In the desert, yeah. <laughs> Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Tech moves fast. So keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts.